Life is a winding road. And so um, Cheryl Crow is right. So God, uh, in Jesus' name, what's that about? Amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So do you believe? 
It was a question you're supposed to answer. Do, do you believe? Do you believe? One of the greatest performers of the 19th century was a French tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. In 1859, he successfully crossed the raging cataract of the St. Lawrence River on a tightrope, the uncrossable chasm that we know of as Niagara Falls. He'd actually done it several times, once blindfolded, once in a sack, uh, once pushing a wheelbarrow, once he journeyed halfway across, sat down, and ate an omelet. On one occasion, for which he is perhaps most famous, 10,000 people gathered on each side of the falls. He left the Canadian side with all 10,000 screaming, Blunden, 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 Blunden. And he inched his way ever so carefully along that narrowest of paths, 1,100 feet across, 160 feet above the raging torrent in the bottom of the abyss from one land to another land. When he arrived, there were 10,000 more on the U.S. side chanting his praise, Blondin, Blondin, Blondin. He stood in front of them. He raised his hands. He quieted them. And he said, I have crossed the chasm from one side to the other. And now I will return across the chasm on the rope, but this time carrying one man upon my back. Do you believe that I can do it? Do you believe? And someone said, we believe. And they started to chant, we believe, we believe, we believe. He said, do you believe? We believe, we believe. The crowd just chanted themselves into a frenzy. We believe, we believe, we believe. He raised his hands again, quieted the crowd. And then he said, so then, who will be that man? <laughs> Funny thing, the crowd got really, really really quiet. <laughs> Who will be that man, he asked. And quiet. Nothing. Finally, after some time, one man in the back of the crowd started inching his way towards the front. And he climbed on Blondin's back, and he was carried across the chasm from one kingdom to another. You see, what that man had was faith. Now, his faith wasn't unreasonable, was it? Was it? I mean, the entire crowd had just testified to the re reasonableness of, of what he was intending to do. In fact, his faith was reason. Logos in Greek. Logos, that had already made the journey from his head to his heart. Reasonable. Yet I bet the crowd was tempted to think him a fool. A fool. Philosophically speaking, we all have faith in something. 
usually ourselves. But biblically speaking, faith is faith in God. It starts like a seed and grows into a kingdom. Christians are folks say they believe that God crossed the chasm in Jesus the Christ, and now Jesus is standing in our midst asking us, do you believe? Do you believe? And we chant, we believe, we believe, we believe. And so he says stuff like this, then stick to your marriage vows. Husbands, love your wives as I love the church. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and come follow me. Love as I have loved you. You believe that I crossed the chasm. Well, then pick up your cross and come follow me. In faith, without fear, rejoicing in me always. Do you believe? It's an important question. Yeah, maybe a little bit. So let's pray. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Please, please, please help our unbelief. Send your word, your seed. And let it grow. Amen. Last time we talked about uh, Abraham. In the New Testament, Abraham is called the man of faith and the father of all who believe. Abraham had what Eve and the first Adam did not have in the garden. You remember that they took the knowledge of the good. And yet they lacked faith in the good. So they were exiled from the garden, which the Jews believed was somewhere near Mount Moriah. Well, Abraham had faith, but he didn't always have faith. It came through a process. And it grew from a mustard seed into an entire new creation. Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said... Just chapters ago, um, the Lord said, and, and all creation sprang into existence. What God says is his word. And scripture tells us his word is named Jesus. In the beginning, he spoke his word into nothing and created everything. Genesis 12:1, God speaks his word into Abram like seed. Promised seed. Now, now, the Lord said to Abram, it, it doesn't tell us how he heard, but that God spoke. Sometimes God speaks and everything moves. Sometimes God speaks through creation, He speaks through circumstances, open doors, conscience. Uh, sometimes He speaks through hopes and dreams planted deep, deep within our hearts, sometimes through words of knowledge and prophetic gifts. God speaks through Scripture. God spoke to Abram, and Abram probably felt foolish because it appears that nobody else heard God speak. Well, God speaks His Word. And 2,000 years ago, his word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. 
You see, if you desire Jesus, then God has spoken to you. And you heard. That's what he said. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I'll curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. Last time, uh, we talked a bit about that blessing, and I put up this overhead. The blessing is a land, a city, a name, seed, and that seed is Jesus. The seed is in Abraham, or Abram, uh, then Abraham, uh, and the seed is in Abraham, so Jesus is in Abraham, and the faith of Jesus is in Abraham. It's the spirit of Christ in Abraham that calls out, Abba, Father. That's not just Abraham. The blessing is faith, and finally, the blessing is blessing. That is love, who is God, three persons, one substance, constantly loving, constantly blessing. Paul writes, in Christ, the only thing that matters is faith working through love. See, it begins as a seed of faith and ends as an entire kingdom of love. You see, God is giving himself to Abraham. God is the blessing. Well, that's a bit much for a Babylonian nomad, huh? I don't know about you, but that's a bit much for me. If you offer a toddler a a Twinkie or 1,000 pounds of gold, they'll take the Twinkie. And they'd just be utterly crushed by the gold. They don't have a capacity for such incredible blessings, faith for such incredible blessings. Scripture says God is preparing you for an immeasurable weight of glory beyond all compare. As you are now, it would crush you or utterly freak you out. I'm convinced of it. So God says, Abram, I'd like to give you a Twinkie (laughs) and some land and a blessing. Peter? Hungry? How about some bread and some wine and a blessing? Oh, look, it's just, it's just the size of a mustard seed. We know God doesn't lie. But it does grow into a kingdom. So God promises Abram an incredible blessing that he can barely begin to conceive, and God promises you an incredible blessing that you can barely even begin to conceive. We receive 
the blessing of Abram. Did you know that? The blessing of Abraham. Galatians says so. Like Abraham, we inherit a land. Actually, it's called the world. We receive a city, and we are the city, the new Jerusalem. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. He gives us a name. He gives us an identity. It's even his identity. We've been born of imperishable seed, and Jesus is the seed. In Ephesians 3, listen to this. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints just the size of God's love, Christ's love, which surpasses knowledge, surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, it's like faith empties us of ourselves, making space for the fullness of God. Like faith causes us to hope, and hope gets filled with love, which is the fullness of God. Faith, hope, and love. So faith is the start of the blessing, and the blessing comes by faith. So how do we get faith? Do you just work it up, you know? Kind of strike yourself up with a great band, you know? Or do you just study real hard and try to get smart? Or maybe, maybe you try to get stupid, you know what I mean? Change the channel from the Discovery Channel to religious TV and just watch it a whole bunch. Is that how you get faith? Well, God speaks blessing like a seed into Abraham. And lo and behold, in Abraham, there's faith. Like a seed. God says, go. And Abraham goes. Now, we would expect him to just go and pick up this blessing, right? Right? Because the blessing is grace. It comes by grace. It's not dependent on Abraham, but it's dependent on the one who rules all things, has all power. And so we'd expect smooth sailing from here on out, right? God promises unspeakable blessing. Sends Abram on a journey, and the journey is filled, just filled with obstacles, trials, and threats to the blessing. You see, faith grows like muscle. It grows against resistance. And so if you've become a believer recently and the journey has not gotten easier, it's not that something's wrong. Something's right. You're a child of Abraham and an heir of unspeakable blessing. And you're on a journey, a journey of faith. Genesis 12, 1 This is how the King James puts it. I love this. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and thy father's house. Leave, Abram. Leave everything you know and go. Go where? Asks Abram. Where's the map? First lesson of faith. There is no map. Hebrews 11.8, listen. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place 
which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was to go. That's funny. He started to walk before he knew which way he was going, where he was going. Faith before knowledge. And people say, you know, I can have faith. I cannot have faith. I, I cannot have faith unless I understand. But maybe you can't have faith if you do understand. It's not faith in a map. It's faith in, in God. God says, go to the land that I will show you. Sounds like Abraham's not going along. It sounds like God is planning on traveling with Abraham. So, so God isn't, you see, the knowledge of the way. God is the way. Years ago, I went on a, a mission trip with my dad. And uh, upon our return, my family met me at the airport. And I don't think I'll ever forget what my daughter Becky said. She must have been two or three, and she came running up to me in the airport, and she said, oh, daddy, 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 I was so scared you'd get lost, but then I knew you wouldn't get lost because you were with your daddy. <laughs> you see, that's how little children navigate. Not with a map, but the presence of their daddy. Not with the knowledge of the good, but the presence of the good. Not by law, but by faith. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, and it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He said, I am the way. You know, the Pharisees, they, they thought that the Bible was a map, you know, <laughs> kind of like the knowledge of good and evil, but it's not a map. It's a testament, a testimony, a, a witness that testifies to a person who is asking you to follow him, even climb on his back as he crosses the chasm, and that requires faith. You know, pretty much all religion, at least human religion, is a way to not have faith. It's maps, systems, principles, laws, so you can save you. And you don't have to trust a savior. So you can navigate with knowledge rather than faith. But faith is trusting a person more than your knowledge. So you see, the journey of faith travels through confusion of necessity. And disappointment, surrendered expectations. You know, God called Abraham to journey to the promised land, and when he gets there, read it, chapter 12, when he gets there, it's full of Canaanites and famine, some promised land. Scripture tells us that our faith is like gold, which is tested by fire. So don't be surprised when the fiery idea ordeal come, comes upon you, says, says Peter. Well, in Genesis 12, 10, Abram uh, flees uh, the promised land because of the famine and descends into Egypt. In fear, not faith, he deceives Pharaoh, saying that Sarah is 
his sister. In other words, he pimps his wife to save his life. Abraham failed. That's a failure. Abraham failed the test, but God passes the test. Although Abram is faithless, God remains faithful. You know, God doesn't test you to see if you have faith, like he needs that information. God doesn't test you to see if you have faith. God tests you to reveal where you don't have faith. He tests you to burn away what's not of him and to purify what is of him. His word in you is of him, and that's faith. Well, in chapter 13, Abraham returns to the land, but there's not room in the land for his herds and Lot's herds. Remember, Lot is his nephew, and so there's strife. So Abraham offers Lot his choice of the land. It looks like he might just accidentally or kind of give away his blessing, but I don't think it's a failure. I think it's success. Abraham is so confident in his blessing, he can be a blessing. If you believe in God's grace, well, then you'll extend God's grace. You'll be generous. In fear, Abraham became a curse to Pharaoh, remember? In faith, he became a blessing to Lot. And Sodom, check it out, chapter 14. Abraham rescues Lot as well as Sodom. Didn't see that one coming, did you? But it's there, check it out. Um, But soon we find out what happens to Sodom, and so all of his efforts seem futile. Yet God is not futile, and according to Ezekiel, he's not done with Sodom. But the journey of faith travels through confusion, disappointment, fear, failure, strife, success, futility, and doubt. Chapter 15, Abraham believes the promise, and you'll recognize this verse, it's reckoned to him as righteousness. Woohoo! big deal. Next breath, he doubts. He asks, but, but how will I know? You see, all he has is this word. So far, he has no external verification of the promise. How do I know? And so get this. Of all the things that God could have done, this is what he does. He has him cut animals in half and lay them on the, bri- on the ground. That's what he does. Just body broken, bloodshed, and then the fire and the cloud pass between the pieces and God calls it a covenant. You know this life is a crazy, crazy journey. We're at war. Many of you have lost jobs. People are sick. Marriages are falling apart. It's a journey of confusion, disappointment, fear, failure, strife, success, futility, doubt. And I'm the pastor. And I wish that I could give you some sort of external verification that we, in fact, are on the right path. But it feels like all I got is a word, a promised blessing, and some body broken and bloodshed, a covenant, testament, testimony to a person. Word, covenant, and maybe, 
sign of the covenant. Chapter 17. Get this. Abraham is 99 years old. No external verification of the covenant quite yet or the promise. And God says this to Abraham. Abraham, this will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. You will cut the skin off the end of your penis. Say what? Abram, Abraham, father of nations, you will cut the skin off the end of your penis and so teach your descendants after you. Now we know that circumcision has just profound meaning. But that meaning isn't going to be revealed for another 2,000 years. I mean, old Abraham, 99 years old, has got to feel like just a little bit foolish, don't you think? I mean, some sort of blessing this has turned out to be. You realize that Abraham is called sojourner till the day he dies? Sojourner is a biblical word meaning homeless. He's homeless in his promised land. When Sarah dies, Abraham has no place to even bury the body. He buys a grave from a Hittite in the land which God promised to him. The Bible says Abraham inherited the world. That's what Paul says. But it wasn't in this lifetime. God promises him a great nation. He promises descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea. But right up to the end of his crazy journey on this globe, he possessed no land. And at the age of 100, his 90-year-old wife is still barren. I mean, can, can you imagine Abraham hanging out with the old guys down at the bar near Hebron. They have a little too much to drink. They start bragging. Abraham says, oh yeah? You got 50 sheep? Check this out. God gave me an entire land. <laughs> yeah, check that out. And, and... He promised that I would be the father of multitudes, multitudes of nations. So guys look at him and they say, wow. They ask, where's the country? Right here. (laughs) Well, he hasn't actually given it to me yet. Okay. What's your son's name? Well, actually, I I don't got one. Hey, I think you're making this stuff up. God didn't really promise you all that stuff. Yes, he did, did not, did too. Prove it. Okie dokie, zip. Take a look at this, my Sign of the covenant. (laughs) I mean, I don't mean to be rude. I mean to be biblical. Do you get the point? Abraham has got to feel like an entire and total fool. A fool. A desperate 
fool. Remember when he was young? Just 86, chapter 16. He tried to manufacture the blessing by sleeping with a maid. He tried to acquire faithfulness with faithlessness. He tried to take the blessing with sin, with self. You see, the greatest threat to Abraham's blessing is Abraham. So Abraham fails because God will not fail. Chapter 20, when Abraham is 100 years old, in fear, he fails once again. He tells the king, he does this thing over again. He tells the king that Sarah is his sister, 90 years old. Well, because of Abraham's sin, all the king's household becomes barren. Did you get that? So God has Abraham pray and heal them all. And they all get pregnant. But Sarah remains not pregnant, barren. It's like blessing the whole world and not blessing yourself. It's like saving the whole world and not saving yourself. I mean, he must have thought to himself, my God, why have you forsaken me? See how weird this is? God promises Abraham this outrageous blessing then sends him on a journey on which everything on the journey seems to contradict the blessing. Confusion, disappointment, fear, failure, strife, success, futility, doubt, foolishness, homelessness, desperation, sin, forsakenness, and barrenness, 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 barrenness. And here's an even weirder thing. I find this story incredibly encouraging. You know, I usually get depressed when I watch religious TV. I do. And I get inspired when I read the story of Abraham. Because I feel kind of like Abraham. Maybe you do too. Maybe you're a child of Abraham. God has promised you the most incredible blessing, and the entire world says, You got nothing. God says he loves you more than all creation. And all creation says, you're a fool. I feel foolish telling you this. But I'm gonna. (laughs) And I may not be hearing correctly, but over the last five years or so, several people, independent of one another, have given me the very same Bible verse. Isaiah 54 Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of of your tent and let your curtains, your habitation, the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Do not hold back. A few months ago, we were praying as a, as a board, asking God where he wanted us to go and what he wanted us to do. And my wife, who hears God in these weird ways, she turned to me and said, I just heard God say, read Isaiah 54. And I looked at her and I said, do you know what that is? And she said, I don't have any idea what that is. And that's just like God. 
single barren one. Enlarge the place of your tent. Don't hold back. And yet, for the last five years, I've watched, just watched as the tent shrank. And I've never been so tempted to hold back. But God keeps saying, remember the promise. Remember the promise. Remember the promise. Remember. You know, I, I, I think, I think that we're supposed to take a journey and go worship over at the Asbury building for a while. I think. I'm not sure. I'm pretty darn sure that we're not supposed to hold back. And I know we're supposed to break forth in singing. But I tell you, I I usually, and it just helps me to tell you this, I usually feel like an old fool. And I think God has me. Maybe us, right where he wants us. Because you see, the promise comes by grace. And God is growing faith in his grace. And this not of ourselves. He's circumcising our hearts. Well, as you know, the child of the promise came when Sarah was 90 years old. And Abraham was good as dead. That's what the Bible says. They named him Isaac, which means laughter. When Isaac was a young man, God spoke to old Abraham. It was time to finish the journey. He said, Abraham, take your son, whom you love, and go to Moriah. Legend had it that that was the site of the ancient Garden of Eden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know that it was the site of the temple and the sanctuary and Jerusalem and the hill of the skull on which Jesus was nailed to the tree. Take your son, your only begotten son, the son you love, and offer him to me as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. It absolutely flew in the face of everything that Abraham knew. It flew in the face of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, the last threat to the promise of God is the law of God. It was like God was asking Abraham to surrender the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, surrender his knowledge of virtue. And that's faith. Kierkegaard wrote, the opposite of sin is faith. And this is one of the most decisive definitions of all Christianity, that the opposite of sin is not virtue, but faith. Paul wrote, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So God will burn away all of our faithless virtue, our self-righteousness. And so Abraham surrendered his knowledge of God and walked by faith in God. He journeyed up Mount Moriah, lifted the knife, but the angel of Yahweh, the God-man, stopped him and provided a substitute. 
Jesus is the word. Jesus is faith. Jesus is the God-man. And Jesus is the substitute. I hope you noticed that Abraham's journey paralleled Jesus' journey. His descent into Egypt. Even more, his journey to Jerusalem and his journey up the mountain where he was nailed to the tree, bearing our sins, the fruit we stole. Where he cried out, my God, my God, why? You see, he didn't know. Why have you forsaken me? He didn't know why, and yet he trusted his father and obeyed. It's like he returned the fruit of knowledge to the tree, was nailed to the tree, and now he is the fruit of that tree, body broken and bloodshed life. He is perfect faith, and he gives his faith to us. It comes to us as a seed, and it grows into an entire kingdom. Jesus is the word, the seed, the child of the promise. And God is his father. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son on Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah, God crossed the chasm. Father and son crossed the chasm and revealed his heart of boundless blessing and love. So, so when Abraham walked up that mountain in faith, he was riding on God's back. No wonder Abraham is called the friend of God. In him, God had grown so much faith, he could begin to comprehend the love that surpasses knowledge. He could begin to comprehend the blessing, and the blessing is God. So God blessed Abraham, and Abraham blessed God with faith. He had what the first Adam lacked and what the last Adam gave, faith working through love. He was a man made in the image and likeness of God. He had God's heart, and he inherited an entire new creation. You know, we tend to think that we have to work up enough faith to make it on this journey called life. But you see, God calls us on this journey to grow faith that is his life. The journey through confusion, disappointment, fear, failure, strife, success, seeming success, futility, doubt, foolishness, homelessness, desperation, sin, forsakenness, barrenness, and even especially self-righteousness. We think faith is necessary for the journey. But you see, the journey is necessary for faith. You know the man that stepped to the front of the crowd and climbed on Blondin's back and crossed the chasm from one kingdom to the next? It was his manager, his lifelong friend, the friend of Blondin. 
He'd traveled with them for so long, for so many years, journeyed with them for so many years, that that journey produced the faith that finished the journey. The journey of faith ends where it begins, the heart of God. Jesus, beginning and end. And faith is what God wants from you. You know, he uses all of space and all of time to get that fruit, to grow that fruit in you. Faith is what the Father wants. I I used to take my kids camping to grow faith because, you know, the journey kind of freaked them out. They'd snuggle up to me in the tent at night. They'd put their faith in me instead of themselves. On one journey years ago, we, we came to Cataract Creek in the Gore Range, the only way across was on this slippery log, about 10 feet above a uh, raging waterfall. I told the kids exactly what I wanted them to, knew, to do. I mean, I gave them the knowledge of good and evil log crossing in great detail, saying, look, go slow, go slow, no sudden moves, do exactly as I say, exactly when I say. I got halfway across, and, and, I, and I kind of helped Elizabeth uh, across, because Elizabeth is the hothead, and John is always cautious, you know. So I, I got Elizabeth across like this. And then I glanced over my shoulder, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something that utterly terrified me. The eyes of my son, wide open and filled with faith. He just leapt from the side of the mountain as if he were to land upon my back, and he hit my back. He did, but I'm no Charles Blondin. And so immediately, we went tumbling off of the log down below into the raging cataract. I held on to him, and he held on to me. I was soaked. He was soaked. The camera was soaked. I fished him out of the water and myself out of the water. I set him down on the side of the bank. I took a big breath, and I was just ready to scold the daylights out of him, but I couldn't. I had no heart for that kind of thing. You see, he'd done everything wrong, but everything right. He gave me what I wanted. Faith. Working through love. Nothing else mattered. On that night, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Body broken. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant. Pour it out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and eat body broken, bloodshed. And in the morning, he climbed up Mount Moriah. He bore a cross, across the chasm. And even into the chasm, 
because of our disobedience. All in order to win our faith. He did it all. Creation, chasm, cross. So you'd believe in him. So do you believe? Do you want to believe? Yeah? Then come to the table and receive the seed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jonathan's eyes, they just got really big. And he just leapt on me. And we tumbled off that narrow path down into the chasm below. I held on to him. He held on to me. I fished him out. I set him down on the side. I started to yell at him. I wanted to yell at him, but I just couldn't because he had given me exactly what I wanted. Faith. And I knew that if he had faith, that faith would grow. And it would take care of all those other things, his log-walking skills, his obedience, all those things, it would grow. And tonight, if your eyes got a little bit big and you said, Jesus, I need you, and you came forward and you took the bread and you took the cup with just a, a mustard seed of faith, well, that mustard seed was put in you by the Word, the living Word, and it grew when you came forward. And as you leave this place, you'll take that seed with you wherever you go. It's imperishable seed. It cannot be destroyed, and it will grow. It grows against resistance, like muscles in your body. It grows throughout your life until one day all your plans, all your dreams, all your efforts, all your virtue will amount to nothing. You'll breathe your last breath. Your heart will beat its last beat. And a chasm will open up before you. And there will be a light. Don't run from the light. <laughs> He's your friend. Look into his face and he'll say something like this. Get on my back. <laughs> it's time to go home. It's time to rise from the dead. You're a friend of God. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.